0: Good morning, my name is Karsten Fries. Um, right, uh, as you know, two days ago, the police secret service said publicly that we should be, I don't remember the exact wording in, 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 in English, but something about be careful about Huawei. Um, and our Minister Justice had said something, something similar earlier and other, you know, we heard that same from other countries. At the same time Huawei are, you know, arguing we had done nothing wrong ever uh, actually, we have the most transparent systems in the world. We're building cyber security centers for 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 governments to test our our software and our systems. Still, uh, this this concern. So, what's this all about? Why 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 are we concerned? Is it is, it, uh, is it a it cunning plot or is it something real? Right. So, we're going to learn more about that today. Not particularly on Hawaii, in particularly about about Chinese and and Western companies. Uh, in our cybersecurity center, we, we I take pride in bringing up not only the established researchers, but also the younger ones, the new generations, who are going to be the, the, the experts on this topic, these topics in, in the future. And Valentin Weber is one of them. Uh, he's here today. He's a PhD student at, at Oxford University. Although he has is only a PhD student, he has a long 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 bio here, already done a lot. Uh, I'm not reading it all to you, but you can find it online, but I'll also mention that you're also affiliated to to, to, to Harvard to something called the uh, Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society where you are a fellow uh, in addition to working with uh, Lucas Keller I think it's a supervisor who has also been here before uh, in in Oxford so uh, with no further ado I will I will uh, leave the
1: floor to to Valentin and yeah so as question uh, just mentioned we will be today talking about uh, Chinese cybersecurity and what that uh, means for Europe and um, there was a lot in the news recently, um, as recent as two days ago, and so on. Um, but um, also a bit further back, we have seen that there was um, th- Huawei's um, chief financi- financial officer, which was um, arrested in uh, Vancouver. Um, then there was also some uh, arrests in Poland in Eastern Europe for, um, where there were two individuals uh, being um, uh, detained of, um, alleged for allegedly spying. Um, and um, then the Huawei employee was um, immediately fired after that. And then there were also some countries which imposed bans on um, uh, Huawei and uh, ZE from accessing their markets, and one of them was Australia. Um, And um, so let's see what um, Huawei um, said um, on that um, when Australia banned or um, excluded them from their market. They said that uh, the Australian government's decision to block Huawei from Australia's 5G market is politically motivated, not the result of a fact-based, transparent or equitable decision-making process. So that's going to be today the question. Is it really politically motivated or is it fact-based? Is there a real concern uh, behind um, those recent um, concerns? Um, I think the main takeaway of today will be that the international is an extension of the domestic. That means that um, the the Communist Party's influence does not reach only within the companies and uh, within uh, mainland um, China's borders, but what is being done at home, whether that is in censorship, surveillance or espionage, which applies to China, is also reflected in other countries abroad. So there is no, the the borders are blurry. Um, That's gonna be the main takeaway of today. But let's take a look at two major companies, Baidu and Sina. Baidu is the Google equivalent. You can do um, searches and so on. And then Sina, which has Weibo, um, a company which um, is um, the Twitter equivalent. the Chinese Twitter equivalent. And uh, those two companies have um, Chinese uh, Communist uh, Party committees within their uh, corporate structures. And most technology or most also most uh, large companies within China have those uh, committees, which are not only on working group level, but they are really at the decision-making level and they they have influence on what's happening domestically but also internationally. And um, their role of those committees is to assess a company's daily operations. Their role is also to make sure that the company, whether it's a technology company, whether it's uh, different um, sectors that they, it's um, their role to assess that they are really aligned with what the party wants, whether it's um, in different regions or whether it's um, at home. And um, there was an interesting paper by Milhaupt and Zhang who are two American uh, academics, who wrote that um, many large successful Chinese firms, both state-owned enterprises and privately owned enterprises exhibit substantial similarities in terms of market dominance, receipt of state subsidies, proximity to state power and the execution of the state's development policy objectives. So what does that mean? Paraphrase, that means that there's not really a big difference whether a company is state-owned or privately owned, they both, the Chinese Communist Party has influence within them. Um, And even though um, Huawei falls within the privately um, owned enterprise, um, again, according to those two authors, there's not much of a difference. Even if the state doesn't hold um, a a share within that company, that um, doesn't uh, really, um, shouldn't really affect our decision uh, of the company's closeness to the party and its influence. WeChat, another um, service which is an, owned by Tencent, a large um, um, platform in China as well. Also on WeChat, it's, usually you can, uh, th- it's called also a super app. You can do everything with it. You can uh, write your friends. You can get your laundry done. You can order uh, your food. You can order everything, basically. And um, WeChat, does um, filtering at home, right? They do censorship at home. That that means you can't, let's say, write freedom to your friends. You can't write um, uh, Tiananmen Square because it's just going to be censored. But even if you move abroad and if you have like your, um, and even if you get the new international SIM card, that censorship will still apply. Let's say you move um, back to Norway, you will still get um, the filtering on your device. Um, And it was interesting. We saw the story by uh, um, Meng Wanzhou, who was arrested in Vancouver, right, the Huawei official. And if you used WeChat in Vancouver, let's say you just moved to Vancouver and you wanted to read some news and you still wanted to read in Chinese on uh, WeChat and WeChat has um, a feature which is called WeChat News. And you wanted to look up um, what's happening and you just couldn't um, get the proper news because it was filtered, it was um, censored even if you were in Vancouver. And that example serves to show that um, whether you are in China or whether you're abroad, the the um, party's um, preferences and um, objectives still reach even um, into those countries. ZTE, another uh, 5G um, contender um, who could build um, the 5G networks, had a similar um, case. Um, They are building at home um, equipment which could be used for the social credit system. I won't go into details because most people have already read about it, but it's mostly um, a a tool also for the the government to have um, surveillance and control over their people. And what ZTE did, um, they took the technology from home, went to Venezuela and built something called a fatherland um, card. And on that Fatherland card, it like, looks like, a, let's say, if you have a, a MasterCard or something, and on it, you have like a QR code, and it tells you um, what uh, your health data, it tells the government your income, and but also your political activities. Again, another case in point where surveillance doesn't stop at um, China's borders. What is being done at home is being reflected internationally. But let's now go to Huawei, because it was a... M- most news is about it and I think most people are interested. So I'm sorry for that interlude for this couple of minutes um, that weren't about the, c- uh, the company, but yeah, uh, let's have a look at what um, the, those concerns are about. Um, let's have a look first at what 5G is. It's like the fifth generation network. It's, every, it's um, a continuation of the three, third generation network and the 4G. And it makes everything faster. It um, allows more data to be transported. It's lower latency. That means, let's say you have a video call and you just won't have any glitches. You can talk to your friends and there is gonna be no uh, bad connection, let's say. And you could, what you could also do, uh, what it's going to enable is let's say there's going to be in the future autonomous vehicles and those um, vehicles are going to produce a lot of data, they will um, connect to other cars, they will connect to everything to the infrastructure Um, and um, in order to process all of that, 5G is going to be needed in in order to enable that. Uh, It could be also used in remote surgeries. Um, it could be uh, really uh, make the remote surgeries more common because, and again, if you need video, it's gonna be the um, way to go to allow that um, for happening. And why is 5G important? It's important because um, it is core internet infrastructure. It's it's gonna um, enable a lot of critical services. Um, Let's say uh, the police, uh, we'll use 5G and if they talk to each other, you as a country want it to be confidential, right? Then um, if you look at, at autonomous vehicles, they're going to be driving, you want to um, have that data that um, and the algorithms that uh, those vehicles use um, to be uh, have integrity, right? You don't want to, uh, those um, cars to crash. You also want that uh, 5G network to be available. That means you want, um, let's say there's a natural disaster, something is happening and you don't want the communication systems to go down. So it's really important that uh, the CIA of security is maintained for the um, 5G network. Who are the main contenders for building the fifth generation network? Uh, Huawei has uh, the largest market share at the moment with 28%. That's a a study done by IHS market. Uh, Second largest is uh, Sweden's Ericsson with 27% and then Nokia with 23%, ZTE with 13% and Samsung with 3%. And others are others probably Cisco um, and similar companies. But yeah, just this graph maybe shows you well that um, if... You, uh company um governments exclude huawei and zte from their markets it's almost like 41% of uh, the global market which is not able to compete within new markets and a lot of com- countries have considered it i think everybody is considering at the moment um whether what they should do but there's some countries which are much harsher let's say um australia has basically excluded the company from competing for it f- its 5G networks. Then Japan issued a... Uh, I think they prevent them from... that and Huawei from competing within the markets, right? And um, a lot of Japanese um, mobile um, providers have also um, said that they probably won't use those um, companies. Then uh, some countries in the uh, EU, including Norway, right? Um, just two days ago, there was uh, it in the news, right? That um, the Norwegian government uh, or the, the security services are concerned, but also the EU as a whole started considering the, uh, the European Commission started to um, ask themselves whether they should um, amend a, a law, a 2016 cybersecurity law, um, passed by the um, European Union, which um, could be amended and in, in that way, maybe uh, ban um, Zeti and Huawei from the markets. So everybody is um, thinking about it again the core question are those security concerns substantiated is it hard facts or is it politically motivated in some cases security concerns are not substantiated just as was the bloomberg hack i don't know if you've read about it but it was um, about the supply chain right the supply chain was corrupted from china i think the pla might have uh, compromised it and the bloomberg report relied on 17 intelligence um officials who have said that there is a concern, but again, in the following months, nothing really, uh, <laughs> nothing further was provided um, in evidence. So we can question this uh, report, especially also because major companies such as Amazon, Apple, uh, even the Department of Homeland Security and the GCHQ, which is the UK equivalent of the NSA said, Brunberg's chain uh, supply chain report, we, we can't confirm that and we, we probably don't think that it's true. So, yeah, in some cases, it's not substantiated. But uh, Bloomberg just um, had another story two days ago, actually, about how s- Huawei um, supposedly stole um, intellectual property in California. So they used a, uh, got a startup uh, to talk to them, and they might have misused the startup's um, intellectual property, which was about the uh, f- phone screens, right? They, they, propo- they did, like, super strong uh, phone screens, and supposedly Huawei stole that. Um, proper, uh, intellectual property. But again, this report will unfold and in the next couple of months we will see whether that is true. But let's have a bit of a long, longer term picture. Let's not, let's not just show at the, uh, look at the um, news from today, the news from yesterday. Let's look at the uh, hard facts um, about our cybersecurity let's look at the domestic legal environment and at some cases um, of espionage so uh, hopefully that will give us a bit of a deeper view and lo- give us a look beyond the news uh, gchq was mentioned already quite a lot today but just gonna continue uh, so in the uk um they have a, a evalu- uh, um, the government I- instituted an evaluation board and many of you have probably read about it already i'm just gonna uh, shortly said, um, and the National Cybersecurity Security Center is uh, tasked with it. And so they should look at whether hu- Huawei's cybersecurity is okay or not, right? And since I think 2010 or 2011, they have issued reports and they have never had any concerns. But last year in 2018, they uh, av- wrote again an annual report and they had two security concerns. The first one was that Huawei's source code can um, cause systems to behave in different ways, in different environments, and unpredictability is an enemy of cybersecurity because you don't want your systems to uh, be unpredictable in different environments, right? So that's already a concern. And the second one is about Huawei uses uh, third party. Um, s- has a um, ap- apparently their um, third party software is not subject to a sufficient control. So um, in that respect, there's um, another security concern. And so that has been now half a year, right? Since July, a bit more. And um, the UK government has been a bit, uh, according to media reports, they were uh, are a bit uh, annoyed because the implementation of the um, those concerns that were addressed, right? They are not really addressed by, by Huawei, so that's a problem. And um, so we'll see how that will unfold. Um, they will um, the the review board. They will um, order. Uh, uh, they will issue another. Um, report in spring. So we will see what will happen um, and whether those concerns were addressed or not by Huawei. Um, that was about the cybersecurity, security, right? There are some concerns. Um, how about the domestic legal environment? Again, Huawei statement, they say that the Chinese law does not grant government the authority to compel firms to install backdoors or listening devices. So they basically say we don't have any back doors, we don't <laughs> compromise security, and so on. But let's have a look at the law, um, and let's have a look at that. In 2014, the um, Chinese authorities, they um, passed a law, which is the counter-espionage law. So it's mo- mo- mostly fa- focused on, let's say, uh, if a foreign country spies on China, then um, Huawei needs to try to prevent that, right? Which makes sense. Um, they will, uh, they shouldn't be complicit with any other government in, in, in um, spying on on the Chinese government. So that makes sense, right? It's quite defensive, like let's more focused on defense um, of national security. But then three le- years later, another law was passed, the National Intelligence Law. And so there, there's more offense, more um, emphasis on the offense. So in there, it says that any organization or citizen shall support, assist in and cooperate in national intelligence work in accordance with the law and keep confidential <coughs> the national intelligence work that it or he or she knows. So that means that um, you need to be more active as a company and Huawei is also part of that, uh, any organization, right? And they need to actively engage in intelligence, they need to engage uh, <coughs> help with intelligence work and even if they do it, they can't tell you about it, right? So that's the problem. So that previous statement, they can't say what, if something is happening, they couldn't say that it's happening. But let's say Huawei doesn't know about the uh, espionage, right? Let's say maybe the government just spies on them, uh, is in their uh, systems, but they don't know about it. And that happened also with the Cisco servers (coughs) where the NSA intercepted uh, the uh, Cisco servers, which were uh, supposed to go abroad, right? And they put some backdoors in there and Cisco didn't know about it, right? So maybe Huawei is in that situation. Maybe they just have uh, no idea that things are happening. A similar situation with Google, where the NSA hacked into Google. And I think it's in between the communications within the Google um, offices. Uh, The information was not encrypted and the NSA in that way had access to Google's user informations. What if Huawei is just like those two companies and they have no idea of what is happening. Well, uh, Ren Zhengfei, the founder and president of Huawei, says that they are in that situation. They, have, uh, they haven't been asked to share improper information about Huawei's partners. And I personally, as the founder, would never harm the interest of my customers and me. And my company would not answer to requests. So he thinks that's basically the case that they are not cooperating. Does anyone know this building? Seem familiar or not so familiar? It's the um, African Union's headquarters in Addis Ababa, and uh, the it's a very shiny building. And that's a photo of the opening ceremony in 2012. See, people are quite fancily dressed, and everyone was quite happy because. Uh, China bu- <coughs> entirely financed the the building. It was around 200 million dollars. They built the concrete, but they also built the telecommunications um, networks. And who was the company building those, that equipment, or who was providing it? You can imagine who it was: Huawei. And they provided the desktop uh, cloud solution for the African Union's headquarters. They installed the Wi-Fi hotspots. Hu- hotspots. They also trained a lot of the African Union's Commission's technical experts. So the African Union Commission is the equivalent of the EU Commission. It's like the executive uh, arm of the um, AU. And here you can see um, on the Huawei website how the, uh, the report on that, uh, when they built it and, and so on and how they also trained experts and so on. And uh, the company says also, yes, uh, our competitive advantage is that we have uh, enhanced information security, our data is safe and so on, our cloud is safe. Uh, and they said that in respect to this project with the African Union. But the thing is that for five years, there was something going on. Um, from 2012 to 2017, data was transferred from Addis Abeba, so from those headquarters that we just saw, to Shanghai. Every night from midnight till 2 a.m., data was flowing and without the African Union knowing it. And um, as a consequence, in 2017, there was a Le Monde uh, report which said that uh, those things were happening. And as a consequence, they, uh, and s- uh, the African Union uh, changed. Um, they got their own computer servers, so they got different computer servers, and they also enhanced the, uh, the encryption, um, encryption policies within the organization. And uh, China offered that they could configure the new servers, but um, the African Union declined, which is quite uh, makes sense. But just to be fair, GCHQ again mentioned, right? <laughs> they intercepted the communication be- between the African Union and the UN uh, in 2009 and 2010, in according to the um, Snowden revelation. So some, uh, a lot of countries are spying, right? Uh, not only Huawei um let's have a look further another espionage case in poland people might be more familiar because it's more recent and there was more in the news but basically um there was uh you can see again um huawei their statement that uh they uh were involved uh in poland in a project called seeds for the future which is uh aimed at um let's say um they have uh, competitions at universities and the best students, they can go afterwards uh, to China and stay there a bit, get a bit of a working environment experience within Huawei. They learn a bit of Mandarin, they go out, see a bit, uh, have a bit of a sightseeing, get knowledge with the culture and the history um, of the country. And um, so who are the two individuals which were um, allegedly spying, um, uh, were um, involved in spying? So that was Wang Weijing was an employee, Huawei employee who was fired afterwards, right? Uh, We've heard that in the beginning. And then there's Piotr Durbaylo who was a, uh, within the intelligence community, he was uh, formerly in the intelligence community. And what do those two individuals have together or in common, let's say, uh, that they both uh, were, had a a connection to to the military university of technology um, in Warsaw. Uh, So, he was a, a lecturer there in uh, cryptography, I think, and Wang Wei Jing visited the university in regards to the Seeds for the Future project. So that's what the two had um, uh, in common. But yeah, let's see what um, that was. Again, it could be that Huawei just didn't know about it and they immediately fired um, the, the employee. So we looked at the cyber security, we looked at the, uh, we looked at the domestic legal environment, we looked at those uh, few espionage cases. What should European governments do um, with uh, those concerns? I think there's three options. One of the options is let's just leave it as it is. Let, let's le- um, just uh, let some of uh, the telecommunic- telecommunication providers to inspect that um, um, equipment. Let's uh, just leave it. Uh, but in that, that case, um, similar things could happen as in Addis Abeba, right? If you don't inspect it thoroughly, things could happen that uh, Huawei cybersecurity uh, or equipment is being compromised. Also, we don't address what's happening within China, right? The law stays the same, we just don't do anything. And I think if we leave it at I- as it is, then the espionage the, the risk of espionage is quite high. What we could do, we could do similar things as the US, Australia, New Zealand, and, and other countries and uh, the, the European governments could be harsh and just say, no, we don't take in any equipment, we use different providers, uh, that risk is too big. But I think there is, um, I think um, we would address uh, some issues because we just wouldn't have, uh, as, as a government uh, uh, or European governments wouldn't have the equipment, right, then there is no real concern, but again, espionage could happen. If you, even if you have different um, providers, a cyber, there's no 100% cybersecurity. Your systems could be still compromised. And there's large could be consequences if you just ban it on national security grou- grounds that in Huawei, you could have less choice, right? As we've seen earlier in the graph, it's 41% of the, <laughs> you're shutting out 41% of the market it could lead to a fragmentation of global commerce. Maybe you have already supply chain, um, uh, you have a supply chain, right, with Huawei and so on. It would just be costlier uh, to um, use different supply chains and it would lead somehow to different systems within the world where some regions would use this equipment and others this equipment. They would just like be, let's say, um, interoperable. Everything would be a bit more difficult. And it could also backfire. Uh, China could just say the same. Uh, We don't take in European companies because uh, we have national security concerns as well, right? And that's still a market of over a billion people. Uh, So that could be uh, the consequences. In specific cases in Australia, uh, it was a bit harsher, let's say. Uh, The Global Times, uh, a Chinese newspaper who is also known to be very close to the uh, party, said that, uh, to the Communist Party, said that those who willfully hurt Chinese companies with an excuse of national security will meet their nemesis. Quite a strong statement. this uh, Commerce Ministry was a bit more, uh, uh, let's say a bit more subtle and they said, uh, Australia should look at our trade ties and yeah, just think about it, um, it something could happen. Um, then Canada, again, um, many people could have read, right? And um, there it was more on a personal basis after the arrest of, um, Huawei CFO, some, people's, uh, some people were detained. Canadian citizens uh, were detained in China. The ex-diplomat Michael Kovarik, he was detained for reasons of national security. Similarly, businessman Michael Spavor. And then there was another a third individual which was already convicted of drug dealing. But again, the, the case was, I think, reopened and he just got the death penalty instead of 15 years in jail. So yeah, there could be consequences, right? If you just um, exclude uh, the two companies, uh, ZTE and Huawei, from uh, building the 5G network, uh, then there's a third option, right? Which would be uh, what the UK does. You would have uh, the, ne- the intelligence community looking at your at Huawei equipment, and um, Germany instituted something um, some, um, something similar, and Singapore might as well. But then there is the question if. It's a smaller country. The question is if they can really do it, right? Um, the UK has GCHQ. They have a large, let's say, intelligence capabilities. You could say maybe, yes, they, they are confident that they can actually do their job. But a lot of countries can't, right? Um, so uh, if you do that, right, the UK has done it since 2010 or 2011 with 3G and 4G equipment and so on. But now it's 5G. Is that different? Could that change the the thinking. Huawei says there is no real difference between 4G and 5G. But again, Ian Levy, the technical director uh, of uh, the National uh, Cyber Security Center actually, which is within GCHQ, says that 5G is different than 4G because just there's a lot of data flowing and you can't process everything centrally. A lot of things will happen at the edges and it won't be uh, as centrally operated. And what, um, the UK did previously with region 4G is that they um, tried to isolate equipment. So they would have a bit of Huawei equipment. They would have a bit of, let's say, uh, Ericsson or a bit of Nokia, a bit of of, um, Samsung, a bit of Cisco and so on. And that's how they could mitigate the threats um, of um, espionage. But with 5G, that's harder because of the properties uh, that we have uh, just looked at. So yes, if we increase the security screenings, maybe some larger countries can um, have that, um, increase the uh, cybersecurity, right? They could look at the hard facts, they could look at the hardware, the software, and so on. Um, but again, what does all the cybersecurity help, s- cyber help you? If you have, um, uh, if Huawei still has to share uh, data with the government, right? Even the best security doesn't help if you are basically, uh, supposed to share your data and I think uh, so the risk of espionage is still quite elevated because of the domestic laws so what I would suggest um, is to separate um, the Huawei's domestic corporate infrastructure from international infrastructure and the economist um, proposed a couple of things on how that could be done they say that uh, yes they need uh, Huawei needs to and also ZTE they need to appoint Uh, international directors, foreign directors, they need to establish subsidiaries abroad, which would have independent boards and local managers. So they really need to uh, make, uh, let's say the external operations independent from the domestic. And I think in that way, uh, also the domestic legal environment would be better addressed because, um, and also more trust could be built, right? At the moment, there's not much trust, I suppose, between some governments and Huawei. And that's just because um, the, the governance instra- infrastructure within Huawei is very opaque, right? We, a lot of people don't know what's going on. Um, everything is quite based around Shenzhen, which is the headquarters and so on. Um, so I think as we have seen today um, across the different cases uh, with censorship um, in, in Canada and with WeChat, with surveillance in Venezuela, and espionage, I think um, what is happening at home is in China is also being reflected abroad, right? Um, and so I think there are concerns. So we need to have uh, those. If, we, if, if as a nation, as a European government, you can do sec- security screenings, if you feel confident that, that, that you can do it, right? If you think that your intelligence community is good enough, then you should do those screenings. And maybe if you don't have those um, capabilities, maybe there could be some pooling between countries in um, sharing that vetting because it also costs resources, right? You need to de- devote people from the intelligence community in, cor- in order to do those screenings, right? It's, it's a cost for you um, to, to devote those resources. So maybe uh, there could be some pooling of resources and then there should be also to address the um, the legal environment within china i think there should be a separation between the domestic and international corporate infrastructure
0: mm. then i we'll would just like to thank you so much for your time uh you're you. h- hitting a flight Great. back thank very soon now to to go to the us are
1: you yeah to yeah. boston
0: all right so all always and let's all give him a big hand shall we thank you thank you,
1: thank you.